The conversation you're about to hear was recorded a few weeks before Judy Human passed away on March 4th, 2023. This episode featuring Amy Kenny, Mona Mankara, and Rabbi Lauren Tuckman is the third of five final episodes that will be published over the next few weeks. All episodes of The Human Perspective will remain available indefinitely at judithhuman.com. Welcome to The Human Perspective, a podcast with the internationally recognized badass disability rights activist, Judy Human. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Human Perspective. For quite a while, I've been interested in bringing some people together who have religion um, as a part of their life. And that's particularly because when I've reflected over my years of life, religion has always, and customs have always played an important part in my development. And as you know, I had polio when I was a year and a half, went to the synagogue with my parents. It wasn't accessible. And as I got older, I really began to think about how there was this problem of feeling uh, very much like participation in the Jewish community was very important to me, but that there were barriers that were there that many people never even thought about. So over the years, I've, with I think some emotional struggling in the beginning, been speaking out and talking to other disabled Jewish people about how we want to see change. And so I thought, oh, I'm sure this is something that other people have experienced. And I didn't want this program to be one which was only focusing on a particular religious community. We could have had many other people from many different religious communities, but the three women who are on the call today are all people that I know personally or knew of and thought we could have a good dialogue. So that's the purpose of today's discussion. And it's valuable whether you're religious or not. I don't have any feeling about people who are not religious, but for me, it is a part of who I am and it is for others. So this issue of inclusion and being able to speak open and forthrightly about barriers or feelings of discrimination, alienation, and what we want to do in order to be able to come into another part of our lives. So we have three really great guests today, Amy Kenny, Rabbi Lauren Tuckman, and Mona Minkara. And so what I'd like each one of you to do, could you please give us a little introduction of who you are to our audience? Amy, would you like to go first? Thanks, Judy. I am an ambulatory wheelchair user and cane user. My cane is named Eileen, and my wheelchair is named after Wonder Woman. And I grew up in a Christian community and often was excluded or had folks attempt to pray me away as part of that Christian community. And so I wrote about my experiences with that and a call for the church to be more inclusive of our disability communities in a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. Where are you from? I'm from Australia by way of California, and I now live in Washington, D.C. Welcome. Mona Minkara. Hello, everyone. My name is Mona Kara. I am a blind professor of bioengineering at Northeastern University in Boston. I grew up in the Muslim faith. I am the daughter of Lebanese immigrants. I was born actually near DC. I was born in Maryland, um, but I grew up in the Boston area. And yeah, faith, faith was very important to me in my journey as a child uh, up until now, as an adult. 
Thank you, Rabbi. Hi, everyone. I'm Rabbi Lauren Tuckman. I am very uh, honored to be with all of you. I am the first blind woman in the world to become a rabbi, as far as I know, and I know I won't be the last. We've got a few more in the pipeline. And I am just really honored to be here. You know, professionally, of course, I do a lot of work in this area. And so on a personal level, this is also a deep interest to me. My Jewish um, community is very, very central to my life um, in lots of ways. So I'm just very grateful to be here. Thank you very much. So why is religious engagement important to you, Amy? I grew up in a community and in a home that taught me that everyone was made in the image of the divine. And I had the audacity to believe that. And even when that wasn't extended to me as a disabled kid and now adult, I still really believe that each of us have the divine in us and radiate the divine's image out into the world. And it's really important to me that as disabled folks, we don't have to pick and choose between whether or not we have a religious or faith community, or we get to show up as our full disabled selves and celebrate our disabled bodies as divine. Mona, why is religious engagement important to you? It's deeply important to me because it was the foundation at which it allowed me to interact with the universe, with the world, with the people around me. Um, so in, in these discussions, for me, it's really important to separate out the community from the faith itself. The faith itself was what gave me the foundation to pursue my dreams of becoming a, a scientist, even though all I heard was I couldn't become one. But it was my faith, my belief in the creator that it's possible. And then, you know, the community on the, on the side is, you know, we want belonging, but, you know, there were struggles there. But the faith itself was very important to me in my development, for sure. Um, we'll get back to this. I think that's a really, not only an excellent point, but the way you articulate it, I think is very important. Um, Rabbi. Thank you, Judy. Like Amy, I also have a very deep belief in the idea that all human beings are created in the image of God, as um, is said in Genesis 1.27. Um, but I often felt that that wasn't always extended to me. It's a very radical idea, and it's one that I believe very deeply um, and because that is such a deep part of how I understand myself in the world, I think that religious community and the tradition itself is really important around thinking about how to actually live that out. And especially at times when I experience a lot of discrimination or a lot of challenges, I really do think that for me, finding within the Jewish tradition a lot of empowering models, a lot of empowering teachings was a way to kind of help counteract that. And it also, like Amy said, I couldn't agree more that disabled folks should not have to pick and choose um, between being our full disabled selves and showing up in the religious community. Have you played personally a role in advancing the inclusion of disabled people in society? in general. And then a second part of that is when, if at all, did your work begin to focus on religious communities? Amy, you want to start? So my current job is to help launch a disability cultural initiative and center at Georgetown University, which is a brand new initiative that celebrates and supports disabled folks on campus and celebrates disability as an intersectional identity. But long before that was my title and role day to day, I was already advocating for disabled folks to be supported 
and celebrated wherever I was, particularly in my church communities that I've been a part of. I've done a lot of this work interpersonally and facilitated workshops and discussion nights on thinking about how to support our disabled community members and also how to think about God as divine and disabled. And what do you mean by that and disabled? So there's this image in Ezekiel and Daniel of God's throne being a chair with wheels. And that sounds a lot like a wheelchair to me. And (laughs) I think as I'm moving about the world using a wheelchair or mobility scooter, I think about how it emulates the throne of the living God and inviting people to think about God in that way or thinking about how my disability and all of our bodies are this form outside of the norm that shift over time and our access needs fluctuate from day to day. And that helps me understand how I understand the divine. God is burning bush and rock and lion and cloud and fire and a still small voice and in the stars above. And that feels like the dynamic transformative qualities of disability to me. Thank you. Mona, I'll go over the question again, but I want to partly answer the question, not for you, but because of what I know about you. Have you played a role in advancing the inclusion of disabled people in society? And the second part of that is what role have you played in the religious aspect of your life? So you are not only in the science field, but you are in a very specialized area of science. So most people with or without disabilities are not in this arena. Did you have any challenges when you started to... um, be interested in the sciences and looking forward and how to move into this area of study? Oh, 100%, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, even now, I think we need to do a lot to make my field uh, more accessible. So just just to let everybody know, I am a professor of bioengineering, but my degree is in chemistry. And I study the substance in the lungs that allows you to breathe. Uh, To me, this is also a way that I connect with the creator, with the divine is I find it amazingly fascinating to sit there and like investigate what are these molecules doing and how are they interact. So I do that using computational modeling, but every step of the way is a new challenge for me to get to this point in which I'm now a professor, I'm tenure track and like, I'm, you know, publishing a paper, accessing literature, like every piece of that is so deeply inaccessible that I'm working on trying to make it more inclusive. I definitely advocate for blind individuals who want to pursue science to pursue it. You know, I, I keep my Friday afternoons actually open for outreach for that reason. People reach out to me through my website. So I, I really care about this because I believe, see, it comes back to this. I loved that both the rabbi and Amy both brought up like the image of the divine. So f- for me growing up, there wasn't necessarily that literal like statement, but we knew that God, the creator has 99 names. So 99 attributes, the most merciful, the most gracious, so forth and so on. And I believe from all my heart that one of the biggest things you could do to honor your creator is to honor his creation. So part of his creation is humanity and humanity cannot exist without diversity. Like there is a power. We're all meant to be what we are. So I am meant to be a blind individual because of my blindness. I'm going to be able to contribute unique perspectives that other people cannot. That's why we need to work together as humanity. That's why that 
all of these different modes of disability need to exist. That is all part of God, the universe. God is the universe. So that's kind of my Muslim take on it. And that's what gave me strength. It's just a part of who I am. And it's really important that in whatever spaces we end up being, whether they be in the religious space and in my secular like workspace, that we work towards allowing humans to be themselves, right? And allowing humans to follow their dreams, whatever that might be. So it's really amazing. I've connected with a group in Minnesota that like really cares about, for example, making sure all of the sermons are interpreted, right? So that a deaf person can access that. There's so many different types of access in those spaces that need to be addressed. Like we need to work on that for sure. Thank you very much. So Rabbi. Yes. So I have a bunch to say about this. I'll keep it brief. That's surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yes, I want to relate to something that Mona shared, which is that part of what I am so passionate about as a blind person in my field, the only blind woman in my field right now, is ensuring that we continuously make it accessible. And I actually think even since my ordination, which was in 2018, which it's hard to believe it's been five years almost, things have really improved in a lot of ways. But it was certainly a challenge, especially around getting text in accessible formats. I'm a Braille reader, and I you know, read both Hebrew and English Braille. And uh, for a while, it was much harder to get the classic text that I needed in Braille. And there are still many people in the world in general, um, and in the Jewish community in particular, for whom Braille access is a very steep thing. Um, I am extraordinarily passionate about changing that. Braille literacy, I think, is very important to me personally, and it also allows for unmediated access to the kind of religious literature that I want to have access to without having someone having to read it to me, without having to rely on another person interpreting it, finding it, scanning it, all of those things. But that, that is still something that we have to work through. Um, in terms of educationally, there are lots of challenges along the way. For me to get to where I am in terms of someone who's very respected in the Jewish community and in the broader disability community, it certainly took quite a bit. We have a lot of work to do, but I also have a lot of hope um, that things are starting to change. There are more and more colleagues of mine who are rabbis and cantors and other kind of um, Jewish professionals who have disabilities. As we are speaking right now, the Jewish community is observing something called Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance, and Inclusion Month, which happens every February. And I would say on a personal level, like Mona was sharing also, part of what I do is honestly just by showing up. It's very important to me to be part of the synagogue, um, and it's very important to me to have a place there. And I often lead prayer. I often will um, engage in that way. But I also just sometimes just want to be in the space as a just a member of the community. And I think that part of the work of disability activism and disability justice is showing up and saying, as Mona beautifully put it, we are who we are. Right. I, I also hold that disability is just an integral part of the human condition. It's an integral part of the divine creation. And um, like Amy was relating a little bit earlier with the imagery in Ezekiel and Daniel, um, that is also very powerful. The idea of God being on a throne. Um, there are some really interesting visions around that in those particular books, which are found in the prophets in the Jewish Bible, um, as well as in the Christian scriptures. And so that is a really beautiful way into thinking about if we as disabled people are integral parts of the divine creation, which I believe we are, 
then we are also meant to bring about our unique perspective into the world. I really deeply believe we are enriched when we do that. Um, and one of the Jewish framings that I use to describe that is the idea that the Torah, um, which comes from the Hebrew word for instruction, has 70 faces, 70 meaning infinite. 70 is a number that often gets used in Jewish tradition to mean infinite. So disabled interpretations are infinitely part of that. And when we are able to bring out who we most authentically are, then we are enriching the entire conversation and we are adding to the chain of tradition. And I think that that is a key piece of this work. Thank you very much. I'm jumping through the screen because this is such a great discussion. So how many of you, as you were growing up, were made to feel indirectly or directly that our lives would have been better had we not had our disabilities? And that if we did something, we could get better. How did you deal with this? And how do you deal with this? Amy, you want to start? Usually I just ran them over with my scooter and I was gone before they knew what hit them. <laughs> that was in your mind. Yeah, in my mind. But in reality, I was often approached with folks offering unsolicited prayers or potions to try to rid me of my disability and also unsolicited advice. I've been told everything from what sin is you is preventing you from running to if you just believed you'd be healed to try eucalyptus oil to hit your leg with a hammer. Somehow I'm still disabled. And I think most folks are well-meaning, but that does a lot of harm over time because it suggests that just by virtue of existing, we are somehow othered or sinful or a defect. And as we've already stated, as both Lauren and Mona put beautifully, we're divine and we're radiant. So I think it still hurts when I receive those kinds of responses. I agree with Lauren that I'm hopeful for the communities we can create, but I think we still have a lot of work to do. Mona. Yeah, I definitely, sometimes there's a lot of pity that comes my way, right? Like, oh, poor you. And when I was a child, I used to wonder, right? Part of that sometimes entered me like, oh, how is my life going to turn out? Am I not going to be able to do what I want to do just because I'm blind? And and that that did enter me for a while. And then I started to realize, no, you know, and, and this I'm, I'm shortening like a whole life journey through this. <laughs> and even now, it doesn't hurt me. People still do it. Like I, I remember um, even just recently, people didn't realize that I actually understood the Arabic that they were speaking. And they were just like, oh, poor her, like, pity her right like and, and I didn't even say anything because the truth of it is that my life I'm so grateful for right now that if only they knew the life that I was living so a lot of times I try to parse out I give people the benefit of the doubt and I'm like okay they're speaking from their own fearful perspective that they themselves would be so scared to be blind if I have a chance to talk to them more I'll accept their prayer of, oh, I hope your life gets is better. And I'm like, of course, I hope yours is better too. You know, like take it off that way. But then if it really gets down to it, if I get to sit down and be like, what is it that you're really trying to say? And they're like, well, I hope your eyesight gets cured and you can see. I turn to them and I say, I believe this is my path from God. You should wish what's best for me. And this is what's best for me right now. And I think that stumps a lot of people. <laughs> So, Mona, you also have a sister with a disability, um, Sarah Mankara. 
how did your parents and how do your parents navigate within Muslim community, having two children who are blind, female children who are not only blind, but excel in many, many different ways? How did they support you in moving forward? My mom always reminds me and reminds both me and my sister that God is taking care of us, you know, that we need to trust. Did you study as a um, a younger person? Like I went to uh, Jewish programs after school. So I went to Saturday school. We used to go memorize the Quran and learn Arabic. Thank you. Rabbi. Yeah. So growing up for a few years, my family and I lived in a neighborhood that was largely um, populated by members of a very evangelical Christian church. And there was one time, and thank goodness I don't remember this, but there was one time when I guess I had one of the little girls who's part of the church became friends with me. And I guess her mother said to my mother, well, you know, the devil must be in your house because your daughter's blind. And obviously that ended that friendship and they never spoke again. And I never spoke to this person. And I remember years and years and years later getting this random Facebook message from this woman who remembered me as a child and just, you know, this was the little girl who was my friend who then became, you know, obviously much older was writing to me and just was talking all about this stuff that she was going through and this, that, and the other and trying to apologize to the ableism. And, you know, I remember my first reaction was like, wow, I don't know what to do with this. I'm really annoyed that I've, you know, gotten this message. I was fine. I was in that place of resentment, but then I want to tie it to what Mona said, which is a lot of this is coming out of other people's fear and they project that fear onto us all the time because I don't remember the statistic. Maybe Mona knows it better than I do, but I'm pretty sure blindness is like one of the most feared disabilities, if not the most feared disability. I don't want to create a hierarchy, but I do believe that there is some kind of statistic to that effect out there, unfortunately. Um, and those of us who are blind live with that, right? And we live with that as it shows up in lots of different spaces, as it shows up in daily interactions, as it shows up just in being. And I think it's something that unfortunately, yeah, it gets to me occasionally still, you know, I have to work around it. I have to practice around it. I have to do a lot of, you know, internal work around that. But I really do believe, um, or I feel that who I am is who I'm meant to be. And, and I understand that to mean also that we do everything we can to be as anti-ableist as we can. My understanding of the world is that God or that Hashem, Hashem is uh, the way that I refer to it in Hebrew, really wants human beings to be partners in creation. So there's an idea in Judaism that every day the world is created anew, which gives us an opportunity to work towards the betterment of the world from when we arrive to when we leave. And I believe that part of that work for me is actively working to dismantle ableism everywhere and, and every way that I can in religious community, in secular community, in the world at large. And it's also not upon us to do everything. We aren't um, free to desist from the work, but we are not going to complete it as individuals. We are going to complete it working together in community, in partnership. So that is something that is very central for me. And when I think back on that story that happened when I was a child, you know, it was one of many such incidences that happened to reduce my life story to a very quick moment. I actually embraced my Judaism as an adult. So I was raised in the Catholic tradition and I have a very vivid memory of being six years old and being in Catholic religious school. Um, I went to like a Sunday school 
And I have a very clear uh, memory of some of the kids saying, well, you will learn if you go to Lourdes, you know, and you've used this holy water, you'll be healed of your blindness. And I, and I came home and I was so upset. And I'm like, they said I was sick and I'm not sick. And I remember very clearly that my mother took me to the priest who was someone who also had a disability. He may not have identified that way at the time, but he experienced a lot of cardiac challenges. And I don't remember the meeting very well, but I remember we had an actual meeting. I had to have been seven. And I remember he saying to me, you know, we don't pray for a cure. We work to make things as accessible as possible. These are my words, not his, but that was the message. We work to make things accessible, as accessible as possible for who we are. We don't wish we were other than that. And that just was so meaningful because as we talk about in disability justice world, I mean, for lots of us, I would imagine for the, for the four of us really in this conversation, I would imagine that none of us is interested in a cure, that that is as far from what we could imagine as possible, that that's offensive, that that is counter to how we understand ourselves in the world. And it was really incredible, even at that young age, even as my life you know, journey took a very different turn, but to be able to have such a tender memory of someone in that kind of authority saying to me as a very small, very inquisitive child who had a deep sense of injustice at having been told that I should just pour holy water over, over my eyes and I'll be good to go. Having that sense of being told, no, we try to make the world accessible. We don't try to cure or fix because there is nothing broken. I think that is so, so important. And when people are struggling or, oh, poor her, she's blind. You know, I haven't gotten that one in a while, but I, I definitely have gotten it. Or when people would say, how could you believe in a God that would do that? And I'm like, well, you what? That's, that's your understanding of how the divine works. That's not my understanding of how the divine works, right? So when people ask questions like that, the thing to always keep in mind is that 99.9% .9 of the time, the question is about them. The question has nothing to do with you. And you become the thing that they projected onto. And most people don't have the skill to recognize that. But that's something that I think is helpful to remember and you know keep in mind. It, it definitely helps me navigate those really complicated situations. Um, I am very lucky that I haven't experienced that overtly in a long time, but that doesn't mean to say that I don't still experience plenty of ableism. So were you raised Catholic and converted? Um, so my family is an intrafaith family. Um, we have my father's Jewish, my mother isn't. So I was raised um, as a child in the Catholic tradition, and then I formally converted to Judaism as a very young adult. Okay, thanks. I went to um, special classes in Brooklyn, and for one or more summers, I remember some of my friends who were Catholic being taken to Lourdes. Yeah. That was very big discussion amongst us when they came back with the same cerebral palsy they had before <laughs> they went to Lourdes. But Amy, this is for all of you. What actions do you believe your religious communities should be taking to advance the inclusion of disability? And what changes have you seen over your lifetime? And what role do you believe you've played in helping to bring about some of these changes, which we all know have taken thousands of years to be created. So we're not going to be rid of them in the next year or two. I think of this image in the Christian scriptures of Jesus describing what flourishing looks like and what 
we should be creating as a part of our communities. And it's this banquet where disabled folks and poor folks are invited first, and then there's enough for everyone. And I picture that that is what church communities should be doing, inviting and making space for disabled folks to show up as our full selves, not attempting to cure us or pray us away, but making the community gatherings accessible in every possible way and being flexible and open to learning new ways of gathering to suit our access needs. I also think it's really important for faith communities to really do the work of unlearning some of this ableism that we've talked about. As you mentioned, Judy, this goes back centuries, and there's a lot of ways that in our various communities, from what we've said today, that we've experienced disability being connected to sin or something bad in these communities, and so really working towards undoing a lot of that ableism. And just showing up as part of these communities and leading in them, I think, are ways that help people imagine the world that we want to create together. And now that you're working, you're at Georgetown, and Georgetown is a Jesuit university. The cultural center that you're involved with, obviously dealing with issues around ableism and much more, but will there be a religious um, or study of religion from a disability perspective as a part of the cultural center, do you know? I hope so. It's just starting. So I think that it's that wonderful phase of endless possibilities. And I think that because of Georgetown's Jesuit history, it would be great to have an interfaith collaborative environment where we get to think about how faith plays a role in, in many of our lives and how many of us who are disabled get to be centralized in that work. Thank you. Mona. So what do I think we need to do to make things more accessible in the Muslim community? There's a lot we need to do. Everything from making sure that the mosques are accessible for all to the khatiras, which are the sermons, whatever is being spoken is accessible in the in, in those spaces. L literal, literal access to the information, whether it be digital or in person, like all of that needs to become more accessible. Also, have openness and having spaces where people with disabilities come together and talk about, you know, their disability, but also openly talking about it. I'm really happy to say, like, Last weekend, I was invited at a local mosque to talk about my experience growing up blind and Muslim in America. So that was really cool to have an entire community there just to listen to that narrative. And more of that needs to happen. So that's a great change. And I think really open discussions about some of these topics of talking about why, where is it rooted that people are thinking that if you have a disability, it's somehow connected to a sin. Like, where is that coming from? Like, really having these discussions, I think, really needs to happen. And emotionally not talking about dealing with it. You know, there's a lot of people who are not at peace with their disability. I have to put this out there. Rabbi, you mentioned this a little bit. I, I want to, you know, you said that none of us necessarily want to cure. This is something that is an interesting topic for me. I am content with my path right now. I am content with my blindness, but I'm not going to lie. I am very curious. If somebody says you can see tomorrow, I'm going to take it because I'm curious. Like I want to, I just want to know, but I don't fundamentally believe that I'm lacking because I cannot see. And then this is really important. 
that these discussions are brought to the table. Like we all have different things that we're abundant in and other things that we might not have. You know, I might not have a million dollars. I might not, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. If somebody offers it to me, you know, no strings attached, I, I will take it. <laughs> like, you know, there are things that, that are very deep here and everybody has a journey with it. And that's also something I think that's really important for the community to recognize. Everybody's at a different place in their journey with their disability. And they, also people maybe without disabilities, are at a different place with disability. That wasn't very articulate, but yes, that's my answer right now. <laughs> it was brilliant. Rabbi Lauren. Yes, thank you. And Mona, I want to jump off of exactly what you just said. I really appreciate you saying that and clarifying for all of us, because I think you're right that we know that we're all at a different point on our journey around disability. I always say to people, even as somebody who's been blind my entire life, that I am always on a journey with it, right? And as you beautifully said, Mona, that I am content now, but I'm curious myself too. If somebody said, you know, hey, we'll give you this thing you can see for a day. Like, huh, all right, you know? But as you very importantly said, you know, I fundamentally do not feel that I am lacking because I am blind. Also something that, you know, there's a lot that I could say and I'm gonna keep this brief, but there are a lot of things that are very prominent that I would like to see changed in Jewish community. But I wanna talk not about those directly, but I wanna talk about the root, which I think we've been discussing, which is something that feels very much like we share it, which is that I don't think the conversations are happening that need to be happening around the roots of ableism. I often thought about this in terms of other spaces that I've been in that have not specifically been around disability, where people who have more privilege are able to sit together and really unpack a lot of what they learned um, about people who are marginalized. And I don't think that that is happening in the larger community around disability the way that I think it should. And I think part of that is something we talked about before, which is the fear a lot of people have, we know, a lot of fear of disability, A, because they've learned to be fearful, and B, because they don't know how they would adapt, you know, as if any of us had a choice, right? This is who we are, and we had to navigate it. And I think that it's really key for there to be spaces for that kind of skill, because I believe that once you break down that fear, and it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I do think that if we work at it every day, maybe we'll see a change down the line. If you break down that fear, you can then re result in more openness to doing things in different ways. And so really asking the question of, you know, why is it that a particular ritual is done in a particular way? What is the purpose for that? And, and how are ways we can do it in a more accessible and inclusive way? Or thinking about, you know, why is it that my religious building is not accessible? What is the message that I'm sending and how do I do that? And especially given the last three years that we've all lived through, I think that we certainly are experiencing ways in which as disabled people, you know, we certainly have lived through three years of a terrible pandemic that has had an incredible impact on all of us and on our faith communities and our religious communities. And so I think that part of thinking about how to be more progressive around disability is also having real conversation about what we've experienced and what are some of the lessons learned around accessibility and what are some of the things that we need to continue to do and the reason that I'm focusing so much on the root issue and not on the, you know, not on the branches, so to speak, is because it's easy in some ways to solve the low-hanging fruit. 
it's much harder to get at the roots. And that is where I believe change actually begins, is when we really start to do what we call in Judaism, our cheshbon hanafesh, our soul accounting, and get really real with ourselves and ask ourselves those hard questions. Where did I learn that thing about disability? How is that affecting me? Do I have leaders in my community with disabilities, whether they're clergy or not? It doesn't matter. Do you know how how does that all relate together? So that's what I would say as a general prescription. Well, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Sorry. I mean, I want to say that I was so excited when I learned there was this woman named Lauren Tuckman who was studying to be a rabbi. Um, I don't jump up because I can't, but I was. And I get emotional on a lot of things. And this is very emotional. So my brothers went to Jewish camps and I couldn't go. And I went to a great camp. You watch Crip Camp, it was a great camp. It was a secular camp, which was great. I'm not against secular camps. But what was great about being able to go, in this case, to Jewish camps was learning more about the religion and the practices, et cetera. So I have non-disabled friends, you know, who were able to go to those camps. And when I go to services or, you know, seders or whatever, I see how much they learned that I didn't have an opportunity to learn. So when I think about where we are today, for example, with Jewish camps, yes, they are better than they were, but no, they are not where they need to be. So the issue of really digging down deeply, as you've all been discussing, to really identify, and it goes beyond the physical accessibility of places. Because if people really accept those of us who don't do things typically, who identify with having a disability, were really welcomed. And also, you know, another thing about Lauren is, and the other rabbis, and I'm, it's not just a Jewish thing, but I know this better than in other communities, the ability to have people who are knowledgeable about the religious issues, who then, instead of someone like me having a gut reaction to the way something is being translated, I can look to like a rabbi and say, okay, you take this on because you can really, from a scholarly perspective, answer these questions. And it's also a relief for me because, you know, someone look at me, oh, Judy's in a wheelchair, so ask her anything having to do with disability. And A, of course, that's not true for any of us, but really having this array of leaders with disabilities in different religious communities, I think is also a very important message within the religious communities about the changes that they made, the resistance that might have been and may still be, what communities are learning. So if there's one quick thing that each one of you would like to say about what change you would like to see happening more rapidly, Amy. I would love for there to be more disabled leaders in these faith communities, because sometimes we're pitied or spoken down to, and to acknowledge that we can lead, we bring gifts, and we have wisdom to share with the community and with non-disabled folks as well is really important. So I would love more disabled leaders to be supported, compensated, and cheered on by all of our faith communities. Thank you, Mona. I would like for the conversation to be immediately brought 
to the spaces. One of the things that I'm really enjoying right now is I'm taking um, a religious class online and the teacher who's teaching it knows that I'm blind and is making sure her best that the slides are fully described and that, you know, like things are accessible to me. This needs to happen everywhere. Thank you. Uh, Rabbi? Like Amy, I would like to see a concerted effort in the philanthropic and other sectors to invest in supporting disabled people to go to seminaries and other institutes of higher learning so that they can come back and be leaders and rabbis and cantors and educators in the community. And that that needs to be done with intention and making sure that people are able to bring everything that they have back to the community because we are so much more enriched when our leadership is as diverse as we truly are. I really wanna thank you all. It's been a great discussion. Thank you so much for bringing us together. I was so I was so moved by this conversation. I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of it. I feel a real sense of hope that there is work being done across traditions by you know fierce advocates such as ourselves. So I just feel very grateful. And I have to tell you, the fact that it's four women on this discussion, I'm very happy. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Or try to minimize our pain, and so why wait? The Human Perspective is produced by me, Kylie Miller, and Judy Human. If you want to find out more information about this episode's guest or resources relating to the discussion, check out the description of this episode or visit judithhuman.com. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Warren. The outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee.